my sister listens to you very regularly and she, I was going to try and not tell her that I was going <laughs> to be on and just have like, just have her listening like she always does and have me come on, but I couldn't wait. Sorry, you made me laugh that. and then I choked my tea. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle and this is What Should I Read Next? Episode 109. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting with guest Annie Spence, whose name you might recognize because in a very recent episode, I recommended her book to another guest. Annie is the author of Dear Fahrenheit 451, Love and Hate in the Stacks, a collection of breakup notes and love letters to books she encounters in her day-to-day as a public librarian. If you're the kind of reader who always wanted to stick your nose in the back room where all the library magic happens, this episode is for you. This week, we're learning all about how one becomes a librarian in the first place. We discuss the future of library finds, the difficulty of recommending books when you're in a huge reading slump yourself, bizarre nonfiction, seasonal reading patterns, the indecision of Ray Bradbury, and much, much more. Let's get to it. Annie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm really excited to talk about your book, but also your reading life because you have a job that many What Should I Read Next listeners daydream about or lust over or have wanted to do from birth or actually find themselves doing today. And I can't wait to get into it. So Dear Fahrenheit 451 arrived in my inbox in the middle of a reading slump for me. And it was just such a delight to read short, tiny, bite-sized love letters to books. Those, thanks for that. Oh, you're welcome. It's a good it's a good book for a reading slump. There's not a ton of commitment to it, and it'll give you new ideas. So, yeah, good book for a reading slump. Do you have firsthand experience with this reading slump phenomenon? Oh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> it's hard. Sometimes I get... Sometimes there's everything. I want to read everything all at once, and I'm reading five books and at a time, and I can't focus on one of them. And there's other times, and I work in a library, so I have my pick of books, and there's just nothing I want to read. That's the worst, a book slump. We talk about it a lot in the library, actually, because we still have to recommend books even if we're currently in a book slump and nothing sounds good to us. It's like when you're hungry, but you don't – but you don't want to eat anything like nothing sounds good, but you want to eat or all you want to eat is that one specific kind of taco that they only make three weeks a year at that restaurant 400 yeah. miles away. <laughs> yeah. That's how I feel. I, I recently had a bit of a slump myself, which is ridiculous because I have tons of unread books in my house that I am actually in when I'm in a better state of mind, really excited about reading. Like there's no shortage of good books to read, but my brain goes to this place where all it wants to read is that book that won't actually come out for four more months right? <laughs> or that one that um, I just ordered and I'm waiting for my bookstore to call me and say, it's here, it's waiting for you and nothing else will do. And uh, it makes me feel like a fickle human and also a terrible reader. If you ever get books from the library, you put something on hold, you're waiting and waiting for it. And then there's this anomaly where all the books you wanted to read come in at once, and then you have to sit on your bed with the, the three books that you wanted to read, 
so desperately in front of you and you have to pick which one you start with. That's, that's a whole nother different kind of anxiety. <laughs> um, been there, done that. And the situation where there's only three doesn't sound, I mean, it could be worse. Yeah, yeah that's true. Okay. So as someone who is a professional book recommender, or at least for a portion of your job, we'll get to that. Do you have a tried and true formula for getting out of the slump when it hits? Yes more specific to me, but I usually recommend for patrons to read a young adult novel if they're in a reading slump because they're quick, um, they're plot driven, you're not going to get bogged down in anything and it's almost like hitting a reset button. I, I read young adult novels when I'm in a reading slump, but I also read graphic novels as sort of a, a palate cleanser, I guess. It's short, it's fun, you have that feeling of accomplishment. Yes, yeah. I can imagine, maybe this is just being a little bit like Pollyanna, but I can imagine how maybe recommending books to readers looking for good books could help me remember how many good books there are out there. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It can't help you remember the plot of any of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say, oh, I really loved this book to a patron. And they're like, what's it about? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't remember that part. I just remember loving it. (laughs) That is a problem. I can remember like how books made me feel and the tone and sometimes the characters, but not their names and definitely not what happened years later. (laughs) Yeah. I remember how I felt when I read it or like what I was doing when I read it, but not not specific more and not any more specific than that. (laughs) It, It is a problem. But patrons aren't asking me what to read. So I would love to hear. So you are a professional librarian, but I think I think even now I have a very dim understanding of what that actually means, the wide variety of library jobs. Can you tell me a little bit about what you, is it do or is it did? Are you currently working in the library? Sure, do. I, I currently do. <laughs> um, but sure, there's a lot of people think, librarians um, sit at the desk and read all day, which I think I thought a little bit when I <laughs> decided to do it. I thought that would that sounded nice, but we actually don't. We uh, librarians, we curate the collection uh, of materials, and that includes books, audiobooks, um, movies, internet databases, ebooks. We buy all of those and we discard the ones that aren't circulating in the library. We do programming based on our community needs and wants. So that could be a craft night, it could be an author reading, it could be having a nutritionist come to talk uh, about the best way to stay healthy. And and then we really just try to find the pulse of whatever our specific community is and, and fit those needs, whatever they are. And they vary vastly from town to town. That's a public library and that's what I do. Um, Academic librarians might be more researched or archival based, and I can't speak to that, though that sounds like a fascinating job as well. Was this the profession of your childhood dreams, or did you come to it gradually? I came to it very gradually. I wanted to be a writer, and I had a creative writing degree, which there's not a lot of... A lot of study jobs out there for a creative (laughs) writing degree. And um, so when I was still in college, I sort of farted around with a couple different options. I thought maybe I would own a a bookstore. I took some entrepreneurship classes. Um, uh, I took some journalism classes. 
and then uh, an advisor said, well, you could be a public librarian. You need your master's degree. So I, I had to go to school to get my uh, master's degree after college. But uh, when he said it, it kind of clicked with me just like, oh, oh, like that's exactly what I want to do. I want to I want to be of use. I want to um, serve the public, but I also want to be surrounded by literature, just be in the reading life however I can. And it sounded like the perfect job for those to hit those two marks that I had wanted to hit. What about the library and life is what you'd always dreamed of? Like, I'm wondering what it is that makes you think like, oh, I'm so glad I get to do this as my job. Certainly recommending books and just helping people with the the days when I say, oh, I love my job are days when someone comes back in and says, you know, you really made my day easier. And it's not always recommending a book. Sometimes it's like helping someone upload a resume or printing off a document they need for court the next day. That's when I really love being a librarian is when someone says, you know, I went other places. There's no other place I could do this. And you made my day easier because librarians talk a lot about the digital divide. There's a lot of people who don't have the use of the internet or they didn't don't know how to use the internet. And it's not just older people. They sort of get lost and there's no other place but the public library that they can come and get unlost, that they, librarians really help uh, that part of the community find their way. Uh, so that's a really fulfilling part of the job for me. And also I, I love seeing kids come in with just stacks of books. I have to mention this story. I had a kid come in the other day and he said, he's very serious. He said, I'm looking for books about stealth, like S-T-E-A-L-T-H. Like I said, like being stealthy. Yes. The element of surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Like, All right. (laughs) Did you point him in the right direction? I did. I got him a book about ninjas. (laughs) So who's, who's more stealthy than ninjas? Now, I'd love to hear what aspects of your job have you thinking, this isn't quite what I expected. Because I'm sure, I'm sure that must happen every day, but I don't know what that would be like. What's it like, Annie? Sure. Well, the main thing that librarians will tell you is just working with the general public. I mean, anybody can can and does walk in and we welcome them in, but (laughs) they can be quirky or belligerent or, (laughs) you know, people just come in with the silliest things. You're just thinking this. They didn't talk about this in library school. They didn't talk about <laughs> unclogging the toilet or, um, you know, helping somebody find the right profile pick for their Match.com <laughs> account. Um, really? Real, those are, I mean, the toilet, I believe, but I hadn't thought about Match.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've had people ask me to look at their medical records, which we cannot do. That's just FYI if you go into the library and aren't looking for wanting to show someone your x-rays, that's not part of the job. <laughs> but that, all sorts of stuff happens. Annie, if you could offer listeners one tip for getting more out of their local library, what would you tell them? I would honestly say that a lot of library users, they never make it to the reference desk. They either come and browse for books and check them out at the, at the checkout desk, or they can never go into the library. Actually, they can get eBooks or they can put books on hold online and then come, come pick them up and walk right back out. But to get the most out of your library, I would suggest walking into the actual library, going up to the reference desk and just saying, 
what can you guys do for me? What kind of services do you have? And the librarian will probably ask you a little bit about your life. You know, if you're looking for a job or if you're really interested in learning a new language or teaching someone English or if you want to learn how to cook, if you're getting a divorce, you know, like and and sort of guide you in the resources based on what's going on in your life right now. Do you find yourself using your own library's resources on a regular basis? I do, for sure. One library I work at has not only an awesome book collection, but they they circulate tools, like weird yard tools that you don't want to spend $200 on because you're only going to use it once in your life. You can check out tools. You can check out art. They have a seed library. Wait, what? They have a seed library? Yeah. You can take seeds, plant them, and then bring in your own seeds. It's amazing. So, and on top of that, books. I'm just like, there's no limit at my library to the number of books you can check out. And I have a child and I have a husband who I get bring home books for. So I never have under 30 items checked out from the library. So yes, I, I, and I often find myself thinking on a day off, like, man, I wish I could go to the library (laughs) and hang out without people coming up and asking me questions. Okay. As a librarian who who's there all the time, do you still incur overdue fines? Well, that's one of the perks of being a librarian. So I need a job at the library. Yes, you do. (laughs) They waive your fines. But I will say there's sort of a trend. Librarians are starting to say that they want to get rid of overdue fines. It's a slow trend, and I don't know if it'll catch on at all libraries. But some libraries are starting to say if you bring the book back, you don't have to pay a late fee. If you don't bring the book back, you have to pay for the book, but they don't want to cause a deterrent to people being able to come back to the library. Yes, I've seen, I mean, I've just seen some articles in newspapers and on the internet about this, how the fines tend to penalize the people who need the library most. I find that really interesting and compelling. And sometimes kids, you know, um, if their parents rack up overdue fines and then the kids can't check out. So yeah, there's a little bit of a, a, a slow moving trend to just wave fines altogether. Annie, when did the idea for Dear Fahrenheit, oh, I have an immediate question. I've, I've always heard it pronounced Dear Fahrenheit 451, and that's not how I heard you say it on an interview. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, man, that's a subject of some controversy. They looked it up. Um, I was interviewed, and she called it Fahrenheit 451. I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I wonder if that's the right way to say it. Oh, I thought you were in the 451 camp. Well, I had always been pronouncing it 451 because Fahrenheit 451 is is a the the temperature to burn books in the, in the novel, and so to me logically it sounded it 451 made sense. But she said 451. She sounded more intelligent than me, so I kind of went with that. <laughs> um, but then afterwards we looked into it, and Ray Bradbury said both. What he said both really? depending on the day. So he's sort of like tricked us. <laughs> Nobody knows what the right way to say it is. I was really hoping for a definitive answer though. None of this wishy-washy. I know. Okay. Very interesting. Okay. Pronunciation aside, how, when did this idea come, come to you? It came to me not as an idea for a book, but um, my first job as a librarian, uh, like maybe eight years ago, I just sort of for my own amusement wrote a couple breakup letters to books that were on the free table, like meaning like we got, we discarded these books from the library and we don't think they'll sell in the book sale, but we can't bring ourselves to pitch them. So like 
please somebody get take these. So the first letter I wrote was to um, Pictorial Anatomy of the Cat was the book. And it was just like this gross book of cat parts. And um, there's no reason it had to be in a public library, maybe in a veterinary library. But so I wrote like sort of like a Dear John letter to it. And I did that a couple more times throughout the years. And I have um, librarian friends who keep a shelf, keep shelves of, you know, like silly titles that are discarded from the library that are just, you know, make for good party banter. In their homes or in the library? In their homes. Yeah. Um, oh, that's funny. Uh, or my boss had a shelf, my old boss had a shelf in her office and she had books, some books, some titles that I used for my book, but one that I didn't, that I never used was Whimsical Sweatshirts. <laughs> a book about um, puffy painting on sweatshirts, basically. Um, so every librarian sort of knows those funny titles. And then um, when I started talking to my agent, she found a blog I wrote and she said, I like, I really like your voice. Do you have any book ideas? And so I sent her this long list of ideas um, for books and I attached that letter to Pictorial Anatomy of the Cat at the end. And I really didn't think it would make a good book idea, but I thought it would make it look like I had more ideas, you know, like, oh, she's just overflowing with inventiveness. And that's the one that she liked. So we pitched it to my editor as a as a book of breakup letters to books from the library. And my editor um, wisely said, that's great, um, but throw some love letters in there as well. And that's sort of how the book came to be. And I think there are more love letters in there than breakup notes by a lot, aren't there? Yeah, some of them are sort of, as with all relationships, they sort of walk that fine line, like, this is a breakup letter, but it turns into a love letter by the end of it, or, you know, I should break up with you, but but I'm not going to. But yeah, I think there's more love. There's generally more love in the book than um, breakups. All right. So, Annie, now I'm dying to get into your reading life and what you love to read. And we can do that because here's how this works. You tell me three books you love, one book you don't, and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Let's start with your favorites. What's your first love? My very favorite book is The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Genides, and I finally got to meet him a couple of weeks ago. I went to a, a reading of his for his new book, but so that's my favorite book, and then two books Two other books that I that I just read lately this summer and really enjoyed are um, Love and Trouble. I think the subtitle is Mid A Midlife Reckoning by Claire Dieterer, which is a memoir. And I I loved celebrity biographies and memoirs, and I really loved um, Born to Run by Bruce Springsteen. That's a fun variety. All right, Annie. So tell me about The Virgin Suicides, which we've talked about on the podcast before. I've never read it. I've only read, so I have Fresh Complaint on my shelf. I can see it from where I'm sitting right now. And I've read Middlesex and the Marriage Plot, but I've never read his first one. So it's a Michigan book, but I'm guessing that's coincidental. It's a Michigan book, yes. Um, it, it is, it's coincidental, but I I now live in the suburb where that book takes place, not because I'm nuts and wanted to, <laughs> uh, that's just where life took me. But so the Virgin Suicides is a book that takes place in the, in the suburbs of Detroit in the seventies. And I'm not, um, spoiling any plot by saying there are these sisters that all kill themselves. So it, it doesn't sound like a sunny plot, but it's 
beautiful sort of nostalgic feeling book. The language is beautiful. It's told in a very, it was the first that I've read of it. The narrative is not told by one person. It's it's told in, in group voice by a group of boys that lived in this neighborhood that found themselves obsessed with these, the Lisbon sisters. Just like the curiosity they have for them, the the love they have for them, the, the want the want they have to save them and 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 are unable to uh, is beautiful. And then for me, being from Michigan, I read that I read the Virgin Suicides in college and and was a creative writing major. And I had been writing these letters to all of my older relatives who grew up in Detroit, um, just asking them questions about their childhood and and. It's sort of mining their lives for for uh, short story ideas. And when I read the uh, Virgin Suicides, just all those little details that Eugenides puts in about about the area made me really feel at home. You know, I really felt like in my book, when I refer to it, I say I felt like he was writing from inside of my brain. The setting was familiar to me and the the story was just beautiful just beautiful. That's one of the only books that I reread um, because I have so many new books to read. But anytime I walk past The Virgin Suicides, I pick it up and you can open it up to any passage It'll and you'll just be knocked on your, on your butt with the lyricism. Are you tempted to reread other books? I mean, I, I can understand the feeling of looking around and seeing all the books you know you want to read. And all the time, you do not have to read them, either because you're busy or because you're a human with 168 hours in a week. I don't really reread books. There's maybe five that I will reread. Oh, Heartburn by Nora Ephron. I'd like to read Wuthering Heights over and over again, even though it's bleak. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about it? I don't. I always feel like there's something I miss in um, Wuthering Heights. Like I feel like there's something, some new way to feel torturous that I didn't catch the last time I read it. Um, so I like to read that book in the fall. But on the whole, I don't reread books. I just try to find books that will make me feel the same way as the books that I love. But I'll try to find new books that make me feel that way. Have you read Eugenity's new short story collection yet? I've started. Um, he read, I went to a reading of his for that book. And it was really embarrassing. I don't know if you know, or familiar with the author Claire Vay Watkins. She wrote um, the novel Battleborn and um, Gold Fame Citrus, and she wrote a really interesting... Oh. Yeah. Well, now I feel embarrassed because I'm really halfway through Gold Fame Citrus. Oh, yeah. Okay, so she it's wrote... a little dark for me, but... That's, yeah. that's how I like them, dark. Um, <laughs> but, um, so she interviewed him for the reading, and I didn't know what she looked like. And when they announced that she was going to be interviewing him, I said to my husband, Oh my God, I love her. And then, uh, when it was time for her to get up and walk to the stage to interview him, she had been sitting right in front of me. (laughs) I was quite embarrassed, but so I, I've read a couple of the stories. I may be like three stories through Eugenides, um, fresh complaints. and, And I love that as well. I just really like his writing, but the Virgin Suicide so far remains my favorite. All right. Tell me more about Love and Trouble. What is it about that one that makes it a recent favorite? Sure. Um, Love and Trouble, a memoir written by a woman who's had a promiscuous youth, and now she's 
in her 40s and she's married with kids and she's sort of looking back on that time. I thought that book was refreshing because it was so honest and it was um, great writing, beautiful writing, but very, um, but still casual, which is something I really enjoy. It was relatable and the content was a little bit darker, but I felt, I felt similar to um, books by Amy Krauss Rosenthal. Do you like um, her reading? Um, I miss her, but I felt that it was kind of refreshing in its honesty and its casualness. It was a subject that's not really written about a lot. She's sort of going through a midlife crisis and she's rehashing all the ways she tried to fix herself in her youth. Um, so it was funny. It was, uh, relatable and, and just so candid. And I really enjoyed that. Okay. That's a big change of pace from Eugenides. I like it. It is. Yeah. I try, I try to run the gamut as, as you can see, I, <laughs> I like dark, dark comedy, dark, which when we get to, um, books for you to recommend, I actually need some lighter fare. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Luckily I can help with that. I've read Wuthering Heights once and I'm glad I did, but I will not be returning to it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So on top of all that, we have Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. I did this on audio when it came out. It was so fun. Tell me about your reading experience. I love, I'm a big Springsteen fan. Um, I love his music. You know, I think he like stands up for the people. He wrote about police brutality, like in the early nineties when it was, was actually sort of, um, detrimental to his fan base, um, to speak up about something like that. So I really am a fan of Bruce Springsteen and his lyrics, but you know, when you read a celebrity memoir, you're like, ugh, is this, is this going to crush my soul a little bit? Am I going to like this person less? Or is the whole book going to be about, you know, like their excuses for whatever controversy has come up in their life? And that's boring to me. Um, and it was long. So I thought, if I don't like this, I'm going to really not like it. But <laughs> I, I loved it. And I and he wrote it. You can tell he wrote it. It's got some of his um, like rock and roll analogy a little bit of it, you, I feel like you could take it off and, and make a song lyrics out of it. Um, I, I also felt that he was candid. He talked about um, meeting his wife, which um, then, and then his wife has, is a singer in his band, but also has her own records out. And so I, I read the book this summer and then the whole summer I like listened to the CD, the album he made, when he was had just fallen in love with his wife and the album she made when she had just fallen in love with him. Those were like the only <laughs> albums I listened to last summer, just like getting in the headspace of their romantic relationship. But I felt it was an interesting look into an artist's process. Uh, his process is a lot more intense than I feel like a, a lot of other artists. And just uh, I was really interested in his childhood. He grew up with not much money and sort of, you know, just bummed around for a long time, it seemed, before he found any success. And in in most celebrity memoirs, that's the part I, I like reading the most. After they're famous, it's like, meh, 
that part's not as interesting to me as them coming up and struggling and trying to figure out what to do with their lives. And he made that part really interesting. I came at it from a different direction. I heard that as an example of the genre, celebrity memoir, it was really fantastically well done. So I thought, well, I want to hear what this, what a great celebrity memoir sounds like. Cause I've read some mostly because I've been interested in the people themselves or I've liked their work and Springsteen. I'm not, it's not that I don't like his music. I just don't know it. And except the, you know, the classics, the five songs, everybody yeah. <laughs> in yes, those are the ones I know. And I, yeah, there was so much I didn't know. It was really interesting. And then I did some Googling after and found out that he got like a $10 million advance to spill all his romantic secrets. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that part was really only like, you know, maybe 10 pages, but um, that's the part everybody wanted to hear, even though like, like, like I mean, what he went, he started dating his wife in like the nineties. So it's not like it's a new controversy, but I, I but I read it for that part too. I must admit, <laughs> I really love Patty. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, see, I didn't. I didn't know anything about his personal life, so that was all. Yeah, it was interesting. Annie, tell me about a book you are not crazy about. And I don't want any cat anatomy. Yeah. I mean, you know, give us a little, a little more to work with. I, I've been thinking really hard about this, and I have recently, in the past couple of years, given myself permission to quit a book before the hatred sets in, because then you just feel like it's the then you just feel like it's such a waste of time, you know? So I've been giving myself permission to quit before I feel like I've lost any time. But the books, can I pick a genre? Yeah, like what are the characteristics of books that make you close them at page 80 or 20 and not pick them up again? I don't like characters that are too likable or too selfish. Unless it's like, unless they're going to get a comeuppance. Um I don't like, <laughs> I don't like endings that are too happy or too sad. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> That's kind of a hard, um, and only I know that perfect mix, that perfect percentage of happy and sad that makes a good ending for me. Um, and, but the books I've been really, um, disliking the most lately are parenting books. <laughs> Just like straight up information parenting. Yes, because they're so preachy and I don't know if um I have a four-year-old and so even on my Pinterest page or whatever it's like the 10 things you need to say to your kid every day or the 10 things you can never say to your kid um it's so preachy and so do or die um and the parenting books are just like a concentrated version of that I finished I I quit a parenting book that um it was like a parent, how to parent your child based on their personality. But then it said one way to figure out what personality your child had was by their facial features. <laughs> just like crazy to me. Like if they have a rounded nose, they, <laughs> they are this type of personality and you should parent them accordingly. <laughs> now it is true that some like anatomical differences, like, if you have, if you have an extra toe, I don't know the anatomical 
description of that, you are more likely statistically to have, I, I know this because of things passed down in the family, you're more likely to have a higher IQ than the average human being and to get certain kinds of cancer. So it's not that there aren't physical traits that do have an impact on your life, but do you use a different strategy when they have high cheekbones? Like I'm not getting this. Yes. And it wasn't sourced, you know, I'm a librarian, so I like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to uh, read all the sources that it was based on, but I want to know they're there. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't just want, you know, my kids turned out fine. So do this. <laughs> but it sounds like you keep coming back to parenting books, Annie. What's going on there? I do. Um, hope springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. Yeah. You just hit, I mean, you're sitting in a library surrounded by books I, at the specific way my reference desk is positioned the parenting books are right behind me so if I'm like sitting there stressing out like oh my kid won't nap or uh, he's throwing temper tantrums it's just right within arm's reach and there have been uh, some parenting books that I felt like were really helpful Um, one of those is how to talk so little kids will listen and I thought that book was very they gave useful hands-on strategies and it It was empathetic, like, you know, I need a little bit of reassurance in my parenting books. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing great. (laughs) That is a great reason to pick up any book. Yeah. Reassurance. Yeah. Annie, what are you reading right now? Um, Right now I'm reading an older book, Breathing Lessons by Ann Tyler, um, which I'm enjoying. And I'm reading um, a book called To the End of June, which is a nonfiction book about the American foster care system. Um, so not quite uplifting. Uh, and I just finished Motherist by Kristen. I'm going to butcher her last name. It's Iskandrian. And, and I enjoyed that. That was a novel um, about a woman whose uh, mother kind of takes off. She's in college and her mother uh, goes missing. So, um, that's what I'm reading right now. And I'm gearing up for the winter last winter. Uh, um, pretty much everybody that knew me from my husband to my coworkers <laughs> told me that I wasn't allowed to read, um, sad books anymore in the winter. <laughs> so I have to read lighter books. Um, this winter, last winter, I read an 800 page book on the AIDS epidemic in New York in the eighties, when it just started, I read, uh, I was reading, um, history books about, um, slavery and even my fiction books were just so dark. And, um, my husband said this when fall came around this year, he was like, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta pick some more uplifting reads because I don't want to talk about (laughs) all this sad crap all winter long. I don't need to be um, uh, regaled with these horrific facts all all winter. So I'm looking for some lighter books. Okay. So you got to save your sad ones for the beach and the sunshine. Yes. So this foster foster care book I'm reading obviously isn't very um, uplifting. That'll be my last bleak book. And then when winter comes, I got to read. I think I'm going to try to read some like art books maybe some books about paintings and I have an Amelia Earhart biography. I know that doesn't end well, but, (laughs) (laughs) but I want to read it. (laughs) I'm already going off my, my own rule for myself. 
it's not winter yet. Yeah. Although you're getting awfully close. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like what you want more of in your reading life is a little, a little bit of levity to get you through the cold months. Yes. And it's hard for me. I know there are books out there that accomplish it, but it's hard for me to find books that are light and also well-written with an unpredictable plot. Oh, okay. Light, well-written, unpredictable plot. And yeah, and by unpredictable, I just mean not cliche, like not, mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I'm really looking forward to these recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoying somebody else being in the shoes of... I don't know. I got a whole library full of books and you want me to tell you what you should go home with. All right. I am up for the challenge. All right, Annie, let's talk about your books. You have a ton of self-awareness about what you like and what you don't and what you need and how you want to get out of your regular dark (laughs) brooding. Uh Uh-huh. My, my Bronte sisters reading. Yeah, exactly. I mean, forget that. I'm just thinking Cold Fame Citrus. I think, right? Oh, yeah. because oh, I can think of all these books that I'm sure you would really love. They're all super dark. You probably actually already read them, but okay. What, what, I'm thinking about celebrity memoirs and you know who you're interested in and all that. I can think of a couple good ones that are dark, but don't end horribly. But I'm also thinking of one that's not super celebrity celebrity. Do you know who thought this was a good idea by Alyssa Mastromonaco? No. She's the staffer for Obama. Oh, yeah. I read like a magazine article about that book. Ooh, that. Who thought this was a good idea? Yeah. Alyssa Master Monaco. Okay. I think. Now, you're not actively in a reading rut, but if you wanted to save this to make this like a reading slump buster, this would be a great one because it's short, it's funny, it unfolds. As a series of personal essays, basically, Mindy Kaling has already bought the rights to adapt this for the small screen. So it clearly has a humorous element, but she's also, so she's telling some ridiculous stories. Like the first one is about getting a tampon machine installed in the West Wing. Not that that's not important, but you, you know, it's got levity. It is not very long. I did this on audio, which was fun, but It was six hours, and most of the literary novels I read are more like 12 to 14, so this is a lot, lot shorter. And it's a fun behind-the-scenes look at the workings of the Obama White House through the eyes of someone who started working for him when she was pretty young, first as a support staff when he was freshman senator, and then she was an assistant to the president, and eventually she became the deputy chief of staff at the White House. And it reads like a, like your friend telling you stories you don't want overheard over coffee. Like it's really funny. She talks about meeting the Pope and meeting, I think she might meet the Queen, but she also talks about dealing with real human struggles like IBS uh, when you have to fly on Air Force One. So it might be the right mix of like, this is serious, but also like, let's not take ourselves too seriously for you. Right. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Fantastic. Okay. Oh, I really want to recommend to you a library and book, but I didn't think it was very good. But the library parts were so fun. Okay. I'm not going to do it though, because you're not going to like it. Have you ever read anything by Anne Fadiman? I'm especially thinking of her personal essays, Ex Libris, Confessions of a Common Reader. No, I haven't even heard of that. See? Um... She's probably best known for uh, nonfiction, The Spirit Catches You and You Fall Down. How do you feel about bookish essays? 
I love bookish essays. Yeah. And these are old. They're not, I mean, I'd like to think they'd be on my shelves today at my local bookstore and my local library. Surely my local library has it. But it was published about 20 years ago. Again, this would be a good rep buster because it's small and it's fun and it's funny. Um, she's really smart. I don't believe her on the confessions of a common reader, though. She's saying like, oh, I may write professionally, but really... I'm just one of you. But then she talks about her writerly parents and how they have the thousands of dollars of first editions in the family library. And Oh, but, yeah, that's not so common. So in the very first essay, she writes about how she, she fell in love with her husband and she married him, but she didn't feel like they were truly married until they merged their separate book collections into uh-huh. one. <laughs> so you like relatable. That sounds relatable, yes, right? Yeah. Um, she writes about how she's a compulsive proofreader who cannot stop noticing typos everywhere. It's really, really funny. Um, she writes about how she's the kind of person who learned about sex from her father's copy of Fanny Hill and whose husband took her to a used bookstore where they came ha- home with a bunch of mildewy, very old books for her birthday. And she was over the moon because that's <laughs> the kind of person she is. How does this sound to you? That sounds relatable. Okay. So for book three, I'm wondering about a YA author. Do you want to go there? Do you not want to go there? Yeah. No, I love reading YA authors. I particularly love, and not not that I won't read something that's not this, but I'm anytime there's like a graduation story or like a summer before or summer after we graduate story, I will read that book, no matter the plot. <laughs> that's really interesting. Okay. Morgan Matson wrote Amy and Roger's epic detour. It sounds just from the title like, um, oh, that book by Nina LaCour, The Disenchantments. Um, I don't know if you've read that, but it's about a some teenagers that go on a road trip. Okay, so in the epic detour, um, there's a girl who is dreading her summer. Her her father died. She doesn't want to drive. Um, there's a whole story there that comes out over the sort of the course of the story. She's thrown together with an old family friend. I think he's going to college and she's about to begin her senior year, I think. And although don't like write anything in print on any book jackets or library websites based on that recommendation. So she is journeying in her interior self. And then literally they're going across the country. And this is really fun if you like to travel or if you live in any of the stops along the way. They go to Yellowstone. They go to some small town in Kansas. They go to Oklahoma. They stop and they have hot browns in my town, Louisville. So that was really fun to be like, ooh, where'd they stay? Ooh, what'd they eat? It has that element. It's it's a lot of fun. And it's about people at multiple kinds of crossroads. That sounds perfect for me um, because I'm writing fiction right now. And one of my characters is a teenage character. And that sounds like a perfect thing for me to read to get it back into the headspace of a teen. Well, I just realized I was thinking of three different, well, two books, but now three. And they're all about teenagers dealing with grief in a very serious way, in a way that's really well written on the page. So I also really love Julia Buxbaum. Her YA novel before last, Tell Me Three Things, is my favorite of hers. And I do think this is that rare novel that manages to be sweet and light and fun and romancy, but she also portrays the emotions of grieving teens and grieving humans really, really well. And that's difficult to do. So that's a fun, um, 
a girl finds herself at a very elite California prep school when she's more she would describe herself more like the girl next door type who used to live in Chicago, a more down to earth Midwestern town in her eyes. And now all of a sudden she's going to school with all these rich, privileged, well-dressed, fashionable teens. And she is trying to figure out how to navigate this new world um, after her father's remarried pretty soon after her mother died. So she's dealing with all kinds of change. And there's a boy who doesn't identify himself, who offers to be her spirit guide to her new school by email. And she doesn't want to say yes, but she's desperate for help. And the story goes from there. And I also really like her newest book, What to Say Next, for the same reasons. Grieving teen who begins a friendship she never would have had she not been in a horrible spot in life that does unexpected things for her. I love stories about unexpected friendships. Oh, yeah. if that calls out to you, what to say next is a good one. It does. Oh, you know, the best thing about working at a library is that I can get these today. They're <laughs> like going to work. Oh, people are them. turning green right now listening. Yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing. Okay, Annie, of those five books, what do you think you'll read next? Um, I'm torn between the Amy and Rogers epic detour and who thought this was a good idea but I often read a fiction and a nonfiction book at the same time. So I think I might just read them simultaneously. (laughs) Well, I'm excited for you and I can't wait to hear what you think. Good. Thank you for the recommendation. It was my pleasure. Thanks for talking books with me today. Hey readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Annie today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Annie and let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 109, that's 109, and it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Definitely check out her book, Dear Fahrenheit 451, available wherever new books are sold. Next week, we have a fun episode from a longtime listener, Fiona Toms. You may recognize Fiona from our What Should Anne Read Next episode, and if you heard that, I'm sure you'll recognize her voice. Actually, funny story about... um... The Leanne Moriarty novels. Um, one of them, I think it's Big Little Lies, mm-hmm. is based in a suburb called Pirawee. And so the suburb next to me is Kirawee, and it's near the beach. And last oh, two years ago, my son started kindergarten, and we had a trivia night at school. Does this sound like the novel at all in any way? <laughs> um, Catch my full conversation with Fiona next week. This episode was so much fun, and I was so excited to talk to Fiona that I don't think you can even tell that I got up in the wee hours of the morning so that we could connect from half a world away. Mark your calendars now for next Tuesday morning, which is actually probably Wednesday if you're in Australia, but subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Readers, time is running out to get bookish goodies from our What Should I Read Next holiday shop. Get your book darts and journals now at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash shop. If you would like your own personalized copy of my book, Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything, please order a personalized copy through Carmichael's Bookstore, my very own hometown independent bookstore. Order online at carmichaelsbookstore.com or give them a call and order through an actual human. Either way, let them know you'd like it signed and they'll get me in there to sign and personalize it any way you'd like before they ship your order straight to your door. You can get that website and telephone number in our show notes at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 109. If you don't care about the personalization stuff, you can get a copy wherever new books are sold. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. 
You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next? Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.